Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 25. Welcome back. I am Ryan Gray, your host back with you for another session of the Medical School HQ podcast, the podcast about medical school, where we take you through the pre-med process, medical school, and even through residency. We're here to take your knowledge of becoming a physician to the next level. Today, we have a great show for you in store. I have my co-host back in the studio with me, my wife, Allison. Hi there. Allison, remind people where you are on your journey I am currently a PGY4 in neurology residency, and I will be graduating in June. I am at the Harvard uh, Neurology Residency Program through Mass General Hospital and Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. Remind people what PG stands for, PGY? PGY is postgraduate year and then the number. So that means I am in my fourth year of residency after medical school. Awesome. All right, before we get started on our main topic for today, which will be the five keys to a successful internship, I want to thank a couple people out there that left five-star reviews for us in iTunes. We have A. Hansen 8 who said the podcast and site are so packed full of great information. Thank you, A. Hansen. We also have Jared825 that says, great study break. So... Thank you for those reviews. Again, as always, reviews and ratings on iTunes shows the rest of the world that what you're listening to is helpful to you, and so hopefully other people can get some value from these podcasts. So if you haven't yet, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes and leave us a review and a rating, five stars hopefully. Just a reminder, as we're recording this, it is the beginning of May 2013. Next month, June 6th through the 9th, 2013 in Washington, D.C., oldpremeds.org is having their annual conference, and I will be speaking at that conference on June 7th. So if you're in the D.C. area or you are interested in going and learning a little bit about medical school as a 
as a non-traditional student. You can go to oldpremeds.org conference to register and learn a lot more about what is going to be going on at that conference. So I want to get into today's session, Five Keys to a Successful Internship. Allison and I sat around and went through a bunch of different things trying to remember what it was like to be an intern. I obviously haven't been a resident in a while. Allison still is a resident and is finishing up here pretty soon. So she's kind of in the thick of it and a little bit easier for her to remember and and see the day-to-day life of what interns are still doing. And, and how they can improve. So we want to bring that knowledge to you. So let's go ahead and I want to first talk about a, a recent John Johns Hopkins study that came out showing that residents only spend about 12% of their time with patients, which is pretty crazy. You're in the hospital for 16 hours a day as an intern at a max, that's the the new rules, the the work hour regulations. You can only work 16 straight hours and only 12% of that time is with patients. So if you you think about it, the rest of that time you're spent digging through charts and sitting in front of a computer, entering uh, notes and, and looking through labs in the electronic medical records or EMRs and some educational stuff in there, but it's pretty pretty sad that as physicians, the, the one reason we go, most of us go into medicine is to treat patients and to heal patients and, and we desire that patient interaction, yet we're not getting it. So hopefully with some of the things we talk about here, we can help you be a little bit more efficient and spend more than 12% of your time with patients. So to start, Allison, why don't we talk about uh, number one, being organized being organized is probably one of the most important things uh, to be as an intern. When you start your internship, uh, you you will probably have uh, some kind of orientation. And I remember from my internship at Brown, uh, our program director telling us that having a system is really the best way to uh, get by as an intern. It's the best way to work. It's the the way to stay efficient, and uh, it makes sense. A lot of medical students, um, pre medical students, you, you come from a background of being organized, but uh, continuing that mode of being organized as an intern is super important. Okay, do you have any tips to help be organized? I think uh, that when you sit down and and get there your first day. You create a system for yourself. You can borrow one from other interns or other residents who uh, can pass their own system down to you. Um, but having a system where you you write down the names of your patients, uh, their medical record numbers, all of the to-dos for that day, and you keep that list with you at all times. And you go as you go through your day, you are making uh, notes about additional things you may need to do uh, in each patient's box, and you're checking off the things that you've already written down as you go. It seems pretty straightforward, but it really is important, and uh, it will uh, help you as you go through your day and keep keep really focused. Okay, so one of the things I like to hearken on is having a system, which you talked about, and use the system and stick to it. 
And you might already have a system from your clinical years as a medical student, and there's no reason to change that system if it worked for you. Because you're doing the same stuff for the most part. You're just a little bit more responsible. You're, you're still looking after patients. You're still following up on exams. You're still calling consults and calling patients back. So you're still doing a lot of that same stuff. So if you have a system as a, as a third or fourth year medical student, stick to it if it worked for you. If it didn't work for you, find a system that does work for you. Ask the other interns, ask some of the residents and, and try different systems. But the key to it is having that list of patients, whether you write it out yourself, whether it's printed for you, and basically creating a to-do list is, is what you're doing. Yeah, and you need to keep yourself updated each morning when you come in and each night when you sign out uh, or afternoon. Having a little uh, keywords to remind yourself to is really important. So for each patient, you might have 56-year-old man with history of CHF coming in with shortness of breath. Uh, you you want to have uh, the diagnosis in front of you, you so that when you are sitting in conference and you get paged from a nurse about a patient, you can look down at your list and of the 10 patients that you're carrying, you remember, yes, okay, Mr. Smith, I know who that is. I can go attend to what that nurse needs. Uh, and you have to remember that as a medical student, you're going to be covering maybe three or four patients as a sub-I in your last year as a fourth-year medical student. That will change and will double uh, and maybe even triple when you become an intern. So a list of 10 uh, feels a lot heavier when you first start your internship. So anything that you can do to keep yourself organized, keep yourself on task is is very important. And it just helps to reinforce uh, you, you know, knowing your patients, uh, that you, you keep reiterating, this is Mr. Smith, this is what he has, these are the things I need to do for him. One of the, the things that, as an intern, and, and just as a human being, we always think that we can remember something. Oh, I don't need to write it down, I'll remember it. Yet, we are terrible at rem- remembering things. So, don't rely on your memory for anything. Write everything down, make a list, if you have your patient list and it's just a general thing to do, have a general list, a to-do list, so that you're not forgetting anything. That's that's the worst thing at the end of the day or you get home and you go, oh, crap, I forgot to, to call somebody or uh, write a prescription or whatever, check a lab. So don't, don't rely on your memory, especially as an intern when you're sleep-deprived, you're food-deprived, you're uh, probably annoyed, mad, sad, any emotion you have as an intern, you'll have them all. And part of being organized is that it allows you then to prioritize what you need to do. So you may have eight or nine or even 12 things you need to do for one patient in the course of 24 hours. And if you have a set of checkboxes, you can look at that and say, okay, these are the things that I have to get done quickly in the next hour. These are things that can wait until the afternoon. And these are things that are in the background that I need to get done before this patient is discharged. Prioritizing is very, very important. And it really falls under being organized. Yeah. And we're going to have a a sample uh, patient list or to-do list and show you kind of some other examples of what to do. Like Allison was just talking about having that having that list and prioritizing using symbols next to checkboxes to give you that mental reminder of this one's important or this one can wait. So we'll give you some examples of that. If you go to the show notes, medicalschoolhq.net slash session twenty-five, 
we'll have an example of of a good uh, list there. And as as an intern, when you're admitting patients, another really key thing to do is have a separate page, a separate or a bunch of pages that are just devoted to admissions. So that when you admit a patient, you have a whole bunch of checkboxes. These are the things I need to do for that patient. I need to write their admission note. I need to write their orders. I need to call their primary care physician and, and let them know that the patient was uh, admitted. Having those sets of checkboxes can continue on when you're a junior resident. No matter what role you're in, actually, uh, in residency, having these types of, of um, key documents with checkboxes on them will really get you far. All right. So be organized, number one of the first five keys to a successful internship. Number two is teamwork. And I think teamwork has nothing to do with a successful internship. It has to do with just being successful in life in general, being a good team player. But starting off working now, you are an employee now. You're no longer a student. You're working with doctors, other doctors, with nurses, with social workers, case managers. You are part of a team. And if you're not acting like one, then the whole system can can go awry. Yeah, each uh, one of us, when we started our internship, we learned about all of the different key players on that team. I think that when you're a medical student, you're somewhat aware of the different key roles uh, in the the group of people that that work on a patient while they're in the hospital. But that becomes that much more obvious and clear when you're an intern. And to give you a sense of what the team is, there's you, an intern, your co-interns, and there may be two or three or even four, depending on your team. You have a junior resident who will be uh, watching over you or supervising you, or that may be a senior resident, depending on the structure of your residency and your rotations. You then will certainly, of course, have an attending uh, physician whose name is on the chart, who's ultimately responsible for the patients. Then, of course, you will have nurses, and nurses are taking care of all the patients on the team. In a lot of hospitals, in a ward setting, on the floors, uh, an average nurse will take care of anywhere between uh, five to six, even up to seven or eight patients. In the ICUs, that drops to about one to two. In addition to nurses, uh, you have case managers, and case managers are, are really essential. They become uh, a key component of teams in the hospital, and their role is really to help uh, create a framework for when that patient is admitted uh, such that they can be discharged, whether they're going home, whether they are going to a nursing facility. They will need all sorts of um help potentially after they leave. They'll need insurance uh, clarification and the insurance has to go through. There are all these things that, that we don't even really pay much attention to as doctors, but the insurance companies do and the case managers are key in, in getting the patient what they need before they leave the hospital. And so you might think, oh, gee, I'll discharge my patient. Well, that's fine and dandy if they're ready medically, but that may not have anything to do with whether or not the, the facility is ready to take them and the insurance company is going to pay for it. So, uh, and finally, I would say you have social workers who can also play key roles when, uh, for certain patients who are admitted. So you think about yourself going into an internship and starting a residency and you're one person of that huge team of people. Uh, and we haven't even included people like physical therapists and, and so many other people who can play in and, and the consultants and chaplaincy. So 
I think what we're saying is that teams are so important in so many professions and in medicine and particularly in the inpatient realm, but also the outpatient realm. Uh, learning to be a team player is absolutely essential. Yeah, I'll tell a little story. When I was an intern in the hospital in my surgery rotation, and I every morning I kept getting bothered by this lady. What's going on with this patient? What's going on with that patient? I'm like, I don't have time to talk to you, lady. I'm busy discharging these people. And I would go to discharge them, and then all of a sudden they're not ready to be discharged. And it turns out this this wonderful lady, as I come to find out, is the case manager. She's the one that is organizing everything. She, she behind the scenes, is the one that makes everything happen, or he. And they would dig through our charts, dig through our notes, try to interpret and guesstimate when a patient's going to be ready to be discharged based on what we're writing in our notes, call whatever rehab facilities the patient may need, call inpatient uh, or in-home services the patient may need and organize all that and get the patient ready to go from a from the non-medical side of things, from from all the resources, and so the the longer the the more I worked with the uh, the case managers, the more I realized that if I openly talk to them and communicate with them, which is key to teamwork communication, that letting them know here's what's going on with with John Smith, we think he's going to be ready in a couple days. He's going to need X Y Z, make their job easier, and your life will ultimately be easier. You're going to get your patients out on time. Your patients are going to love you for that. And and the whole team will like you better for that. And it's an interesting point because in my internship, I, it was a similar thing where we didn't have a set time that you would speak with case management or nursing. You would just find each other by page throughout the day. The hospitals where I work at now, we have what we call interdisciplinary rounds where we actually have a dedicated time during the day when the nurses come in and we touch base as a team, as a full group with case management there. And it, it works really beautifully. But that may not be the case at, at all institutions. So I echo Ryan's point that, you know, you should find who these people are quickly and learn their names and get to know them and establish rapport with them because you'll have to really work well together to get what you need done for a patient. All right. That's number two. On our list of five keys to a successful internship, number three is knowing when to call somebody. As, as an intern, as a, a newbie doctor, you have that MD after your name, you're on top of the world, you think you can do everything, know everything, and then you're by yourself and it's midnight, you're working overnight, and something happens and you you you're on the fence of should I call and wake up my senior resident? Should I call and wake up the attending? And knowing when to do that and when not to do that is is very important. And typically, when you start out, you err on the side of calling for anything. Absolutely, <laughs> they expect it. They really probably want it because they you just come out of medical school. So I think uh, many programs openly say that that at the beginning. Uh, be we want to hear from you, you know, often and all the time about things. And then you, once you learn the system, once you get more comfortable, you start to be more aware of how things work uh, and be more comfortable in your own 
uh, role as a doctor, uh, that becomes, um, you, you can sort of stand more and, more and more on your own. But I think as a rule, no matter what part of your residency you're in, whether it's day one or whether it's day 500, you should always, always have uh, in the back of your mind, this is my plan if a patient of mine looks sick or if there's a new imaging finding that has just been discovered and I've been paged by radiology. Because the last thing that your seniors, your juniors, whomever is supervising you, including your attending, the last thing that they want is for someone to be sitting on a patient uh, who is sick or who's starting to be sick and to not tell anybody about it. Or to take the, I'm fine, everything's good. It's it's the last thing you want to do when, when you get that feeling that something is maybe not going well with your patient. The worst case scenario is you tell your junior or your senior resident and they say, okay, well, that's okay. Let's wait and see what happens. Let's come back to it in a bit. But uh, it's it's so important to to just be aware. And when you think that something is going wrong, to let somebody know, to let somebody know when you need help. What are, as a senior resident now, what are some of the things that you get called for by an intern that maybe they shouldn't call you for? That's a good question. Um, I think that it's not even so much what I'm called about. It's more when an intern or a junior resident under me calls me and, and gives me a problem or says, this is something that's going on with my patient. What's, what's helpful and what's so important as you, uh, as you grow and as you move up the ranks um, as an intern is that you come up with your own plan. So for an example, let's say you're taking care of your 10 patients. It's during the day and the nurse pages you and says, uh, the patient has an increasing oxygen requirement. I've just had to bump them up to four liters of O2 and they were just on Romare. And you say, okay. And you go and examine the patient and their lungs sound a little crackly. You think that maybe they're retaining some volume. You're worried that something is a problem. So at that point, you could say, well, what's my plan? What do I think I need to do to figure out what's going on with this patient and to figure out if they're getting sick quickly and could get in trouble versus let me call my senior resident. And the the difference between those two is that coming up with your own plan sets in motion the wheels in your head. You start to create your your own set of of um, your own um, plan plan. (laughs) Exactly. You work on your own plan about this is what I'm going to do in this situation. And then you start that plan in motion and then you call your senior, maybe when, you know, you found out some more information or maybe, you know, just to let them know that that's what's going on. But I think the point is that you don't want to just call because when you just call and you don't think about it on your own and start to to get the wheels turning and make your own plan, you're not you're not learning, you're not growing, you're not building your own confidence as a physician taking care of patients who are sick. So it's really great as a senior resident when someone calls me and says, you know, Mrs. Jones um, is having some trouble breathing right now. We're getting an ABG on her. We're getting a chest X-ray. And, and to say, this is what I think, uh, even before you tell me what you're going to do, this is what I think might be going on with her. Because that lets me know, okay, this is somebody I need to keep on my radar, and I may, I may need to go see them very shortly, but my intern is working on it, they have a plan, and uh, we're going to keep our eyes open. Yeah, that's perfect. And as a, as a new intern, you can think of that plan and not start doing it. Think of the plan, call and say, here's what I'm thinking of doing, and get some feedback on that, and then move forward. Absolutely. And, and I sort of other side of the coin there have been situations where someone has been 
uh, called by radiology that there's a new finding on a head CT or that there is worsening edema, which is a word for swelling around a lesion, uh, and then didn't tell anybody about it. That can be a problem because that patient can then get sicker and nobody really knows. So the point of the matter is you just, you really, you want to make the people who are supervising you aware of something when someone is sick, but get your own plan in motion about what you're going to do to figure out what's going on and to make it better. All right. Number three, that was number three. Number four out of five keys to a successful internship, knowing your patients before calling a consult. Ooh, this is a pet peeve. (laughs) Probably for most of us who are consultants. (laughs) When you are a consulting team, it is so uh, frustrating, I have to say, when you get called by an intern for a consult and they don't know the patient. The reason is, as a consultant, you're there to be helpful. You're there to diagnose and treat new problems and help out the primary team. But if the communication from the primary team is that they really don't even know the patient, it's going to be really hard for them to figure out how you're going to be helpful. And it creates a lot more homework for you and digging through the patient's chart and, of course, meeting them and you know trying to obtain your own history, which you would do anyway. But when you get that phone call from an intern and they're a little bit all over the place and they don't really know why they're calling you, Maybe they were told by the person who just left who was post-call, oh, yeah, please get a neurology consult or please get a uh, CARDS consult, whomever the consulting service is. When you're that consulting person, it's it can be quite uh, difficult and frustrating when the, the primary team really doesn't know what they're asking you. So the point of the matter, I think, is that you really want to know something about the patient before you're calling. And further, have a consult question in mind. Sometimes we feel like, well, the patient has a brain, so come see neurology, <laughs> which uh, is kind of funny. But really, you want to you want to be asked a consult question. Maybe the person has altered mental status, and so they're asking you, what's the reason for the altered mental status? Or maybe for a cardiology consult, you know, the patient has had chest pain and their EKG doesn't look right. But at the end of the day, don't just call a consult because you think that person should be on board or that team should be involved. You have a real question that you're trying to ask them. Uh, That goes back to old school about when you call different services to to be involved in the care of a patient. You really want to have a specific question that you're asking that team. Same thing when you refer someone in the outpatient setting. Uh, when you refer as a primary care physician, when you refer someone to uh, a specialty service, whether that's gastroenterology or orthopedics, whomever it is, you want to have a specific question that you're asking them. So if I'm an intern and I need to call a consult, the, the key things to remember are, number one, provide some information about the patient to a consult. I'm not calling a consult saying, I have this patient who has headaches. Can you come look at them? So that, that number one, will piss off the consult service and you'll, you'll uh, not be in good graces with them. And, and number two, it, it makes you look kind of naive and, and you don't understand what's going on. So give, give a backstory like you're presenting to your attending. Give a quick little brief uh, uh, presentation to the consulting service and say, here's what's going on. Here's what we're thinking. Here's what we have done already. Here's what we haven't done. Here's why we need you. 
And yeah, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes you won't know what's going on with the patient. I think we've all been in that circumstance where we're taking care of a patient. They have a problem. We think that it might be related to their heart or their brain or or something else. Um, and sometimes it's fine to just say, you know what, I really don't know what's going on with this person. They have this symptom and I, I think that it might be you know, a problem that's that's in your realm uh, to the consult team. And that that really is okay. We're all here to help each other at the end of the day. That's why we work together in the hospital. We're all here to support and help each other. And no one's going to be angry and give you a hard time. Or hopefully, I mean, they shouldn't. We're, we're not there to give each other a hard time. We're there to help each other and, and in service of the patients we're caring for. But at the end of the day, just that bottom line is just know your patient when you're calling a consult. I want to add one small thing to this back end that, I don't think is done enough in hospitals or, or in teams in general. And remember, everybody in that hospital is part of your team. You're not, you might not work with them day in and day out, but if you're on the general surgery team and you need to consult neurology, they are part of your team now, and you all need to work together for the benefit of the patient. And one thing for your own growth and maturity and learning is after you call a consult, if if maybe you felt a little bit of tension with the person you're consulting or there, there were just some issues, you can go back to that person and say, hey, next time I call you, what can I do better? What kind of information are you looking for to make your job a little bit easier? And in the end, that makes your job easier. And the ultimate goal, like I said before, is patient care. So um, don't be afraid to ask for some feedback on the way that you're calling consults or whatever you're doing in life. And, and that goes for talking with nurses, asking nurses, hey, what can I be doing better to, to make your job easier? So that was number four. Number five and final five keys to a successful internship is taking care of yourself, decompressing, having that support structure, knowing when to raise your hand and call for help and and, and call a timeout and say, I, I, I need to take a break. I'm a little too stressed out or I'm feeling a little blue. Or go talk to the program director, that kind of thing. What kind of advice do you have for somebody that needs to decompress a little bit? Having your own um, system about how you decompress is really important. Whether you exercise, whether you talk to your wife or your husband, or your significant other, when you get home at the end of the day about something that was really troubling, something that was sad, uh, whether you play music or whatever you like to do. Maybe you like to sit down and read trashy magazines and watch really bad television. Whatever your system is, make sure that you you do that that when you leave the hospital at the end of the day, that you you let out some of that frustration, that that angst, that um, that sadness. I mean, the reality is that we're we're taking care of people who are often very sick, maybe people who are dying. And you're under a lot of stress. You're chronically sleep deprived, even with the new work hour rules. Uh, you're often, you might be going home post call after a pretty long shift and you may not have been eating the greatest food. You may be losing weight, gaining weight. These are all things that people deal with, uh, interns deal with, residents deal with. And you need to be able to talk about what you're seeing and not keep it in. Because when I think when you keep it in and you don't really process it, it it gets kind of all mushed up and and messy inside you, and and that can really weigh you down. Um, 
I, I know a lot of residents and a lot of us exercise. A, a lot of people are really rigid about that, but sometimes that doesn't always work. We've all had the experience where you're on a really busy rotation. Maybe you're rotating through the ICU and you're getting there at the, the very beginning of the day before uh, the the lights are even on <laughs> outside and uh, then it's dark when you leave. You may be really, it may be really hard to figure out a time when you can actually exercise. But at least, if nothing else, talk to the people that are in your life. Talk to people when you get home at the end of the day. Call your friends, your family, whomever you have. Talk to your your, your dog, if anything, um, just so that you can get out that stuff that you're, you have cooped up inside you. Um, maybe you're not somebody who likes to talk a lot. Maybe you process things differently, and that's fine. Um, I have friends who meditate, go to yoga. I can't emphasize that enough. When you're a busy intern, it, it gets busier than even still when you're in your junior years, your senior years as a resident, that responsibility ramps up. And it's really, really important to just uh, find that Zen place uh, to be able to really decompress. Where It's actually ironic if you think about it, because as doctors, we see so much sadness and we're taking care of really sick people guiding their families through some of the most difficult things that people, that human beings go through. And we're notoriously terrible about talking about it as a group. Some hospitals have uh, employee programs where you can go and talk with people. Um, and psychiatrists are actually pretty good about uh, talking amongst uh, themselves about the consults or the patients that they see and and how those interactions made them feel. But largely the rest of us are not so good about doing that. And uh, it's really, really important. So I would definitely emphasize that as an intern, when you're starting out, uh, take whatever systems you have that have got you to this point in your life uh, that allow you to to relax, to de-stress and continue those even in some small way uh, when you're an intern and, and beyond. I'll add a little bit to that. On the outside of the hospital, that support structure that you have if if you have a lot of family members if you have a lot of friends that aren't in the medical field that aren't physicians that have been through this before they might have some expectations from you to hang out go out uh go to weddings go to birthday parties whatever it may be and you just don't have the time you're sleep deprived you need to to just go home and and decompress at home and and don't don't get frustrated with them understand that that you're kind of in a league of your own with the work that's expected of you and most people don't really understand what's going to be expected of you and you can try to communicate that to them and and let them know that you'll be available when you can but if you if you're not um, sorry. Yeah. And I think for the most part, your friends are your friends. So they'll love you. They'll understand, uh, at least that you're busy and that you're going through a really crazy time in your life. Residency is probably one of the most, uh, stressful, intense, uh, crazy times you will ever have. I can definitely say it's been that way for me and having, being able to come home to my family and those are, those are really important things. And I, I definitely missed a few weddings. <laughs> Some of my good friends got married while I was a resident and, you know, we still, see each other and talk. And, uh, it's a bum bummer that I miss those, those, uh, times in their lives. But I think people for the most part are understanding. All right. That was the fifth key to a successful internship. 
We had a couple extra things written down. We're really not going to talk about them, but we'll list them real quick. Uh, number one was learning how to dictate. Dictation is probably one of the keys to productivity in your internship. Learning how to dictate and learning the, dic- the dictation system, if your hospital gives you one, hopefully they do, can save you a ton of time when you're writing your notes. Number two. Number two is doing your discharge notes or discharge summaries when the patient is discharged. In other words, at the time of discharge. And the reason there is that if you try to do it later, you're going to forget what happened. So there can be errors made and it's a mess. So get those done when the patient is discharged. Some hospitals won't give you the option anyway, uh, particularly when the person's going to a facility. Just get them done when they leave. Yeah. Uh, Number three, don't write orders before you see a patient if you're admitting somebody if being on call is a little bit different because you cover a bunch of patients but but if you're admitting somebody don't write all the orders and put them in the computer because then you're going to start getting calls from nurses and other people that and they're going to start asking you questions and you haven't even seen the patient yet so yeah that's just a safety thing yeah make sure you see somebody even if you're being called i need those orders the patient's on the floor go and see them and then write the orders all right And number four, last but not least, the little quick tips. This is just an intern etiquette note, which is that if a patient is sick, you never want to sign out things like an ABG, which is arterial blood gas. You never want to sign out uh, a chest x-ray or EKG. If somebody's sick, stay with them, carry that out. Uh, The ACGME recognizes that sometimes patient care when someone is really ill, it takes priority. So don't leave things like that for your co-intern who's coming on to take call. All right. Well, we hope that you got some excellent information from today's session. Remember, we want to continue this conversation. We want you to interact. We want to know what you think what you think about the podcast. If you have any tips to success for an internship for a resident, let us know. You can leave a comment. There's there's three ways to let us know. You can leave a comment at the show notes, medicalschoolhq.net slash session twenty-five. You can email us feedback at medicalschoolhq.net, or you can go in and tweet to us on Twitter. We're at medicalschoolhq. Those three ways you can continue this conversation and add more value to everybody that listens and to, that reads um, the posts online. I want to highlight a blog for you today and a person to follow on Twitter if you do, if you use Twitter. The blog is futuredocsblog.com, and it's a blog written by Vinit Arora. I think I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, let me know. I'm sorry. She is an associate program director for the Internal Medicine Residency and associate assistant dean of scholarship and discovery at the Pritzker School of Medicine for the University of Chicago. She writes a ton of great stuff. She's on Twitter, interacts on Twitter, and shares a lot of valuable information there. And I just read a post that went live on Kevin MD today about residency training and and how maybe it needs to change. So go follow her and, and check out what she writes about, and hopefully you can learn some stuff from her. I think that's all for today. I will sign off. Thanks for having me. Make sure to join us next time here at the medical school headquarters.